Good morning again. Uh, you, you might be able to tell. I'm a little bit under the weather this morning. Uh, I've been tested. I'm not, I'm not carrying anything that's going to cause any of you any great uh, harm. I do think that um, I've got some of what we consider in this area the, the Kentucky crud. You know what I'm talking about? Where you just It's just on you, man. You know what I mean? It's just there, right? And uh, so uh, you guys, uh, uh, you know, don't blame me if you go home with sniffles. <laughs> But, but you can, if you want to. I mean, you can. But, uh, hey, listen, we are in Exodus still, and we will be for some time moving on. Uh, we're doing our study through the book of Exodus, and we're in chapter 20. Now, listen, uh, some of you guys, uh, you know, who are here today, I, I want to go ahead and disarm you of the notion or the idea that I have uh, set this up for you. Okay, so I don't want anyone feeling like, oh no, Trent's in there preaching about church attendance, right? That's not what I'm preaching about. That's not, you guys know exactly where we're at, right? We're in Exodus chapter 20. Just so happens we've gone through the entire book of Exodus and we're at the Ten Commandments, right? God has just shown up at Mount Sinai in, in a pillar of fire and it's, a, it's an ominous, fearful sight to, to behold the ground is trembling with fear. The people's hearts are trembling with fear. That's where we're at. That's what, what we're talking about. And last week, uh, God began to speak to the children of Israel, and he's basically giving them what we know to be uh, the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments or the Ten Words of God, right? And so uh, last week, we covered basically the first three of these words of God. And uh, the first one, as you may remember, was, you shall have no other gods before me, Right? And we kind of established right off the bat that God alone sits on the throne, and he sits on the throne alone, right? He's not sharing with you or I, uh, you know, that seat on the throne. Fisher, you know what I'm talking about. It's a, it's a one-seat throne. And then we covered also the second command, and it was you should not make for yourself a carved image or idol. And we talked about the idea of what that actually really means. It's the idea of them, of them forging an image uh, that they would worship God in that image. And we talked about how oftentimes we too want to create an image of God that we can manage, right? You know, an image of God that's not too uncomfortable for us. An image of God that's not too difficult for us. That isn't too demanding for us. That's not requiring. Uh, we, we, ha we know who the God of the Bible is, but sometimes we create a God within our own hearts, with our own minds, something that is much more pliable and easier to work with. And before you know it, man, you'll hear people saying things like, well, me and God's got our own thing going kind of stuff, where they have created an image of God that's not found in the Scriptures. You know, and God said, not only am I the only God that's on the throne, there is a truth in which you will worship me. That's what Jesus says to the woman at Jacob's well, right? There'll come a time you'll worship me in spirit and truth. And, and God is saying in the, in the second command, listen, truth, is, truth has got to accompany your worship of me. And then there was the third command. And uh, uh, the third command was, you shall not take the Lord God your... Uh, the Lord your God's name in what? In vain. Remember that? We, we touched on that last week. And the Hebrew word for vain is shav. And it means to empty. And what God was saying in that moment, and we like to basically uh, interpret this verse, this command, 
as applying to using God's name accompanied by some profanity or swear word, right? You, you'll hear that. and You'll hear someone take the Lord's name in vain in that sense, and you'll say to them, man, don't, don't say that. Don't, don't take the Lord's name in vain in front of me. I don't want to hear that. But the word shav really has a much broader application than just the things that we speak regarding God. It has a greater uh, uh, application, one being in, is how we conduct our lives and how it reflects upon the name of God. So when it says, you shall not take the Lord God uh, the Lord your God's name in vain or in shav or empty it, it's basically saying the life that you're living should not be emptying God of his glory and his identity. You know, we can have zipped lips and never say anything negative about the Lord, but the way we conduct our lives may empty him of his goodness and his mercy and his glory so it's not nearly as appealing to those that we're trying to reach. Right? And remember what God is doing here. That's something that we have to remember. God is establishing a, a group of people that he said would be a what? A priesthood. That would be people who would reach out to the nations. And he's saying, you can't be emptying my name of its glory and then reaching out to the nations and saying, look how good God is. When they're looking at you saying, well, that's not what your life looks like. Right? Okay, so that, that's kind of where we left off last week. And uh, so here we are. At the fourth commandment, okay? Now listen, you'll have to excuse me today. I may be drinking a little bit more than normal. I hope the people on the podcast understand what I mean by drinking. All right. <clears throat> we have a few laughs out there. A few people are awake this morning. So the next commandment, and man, I know, I know you're thinking, man, because every time we read and study the commandments, man, we always come from it uh, from some perspective of legalism, right? Because you're looking at the law, right? So you're automatically assuming, man, this is a hard and rigid uh, uh, statement or declaration that God makes, and it's born out of this restrictive control that God has over us, this prohibition, this sense where God is restraining us. You know, when in fact, what I want you to do, and I'm, I want to try to help you because I think God has helped me in this, you have to view these commands completely different. These aren't prohibitions and restrictions to wound you, to shorten you, to diminish you. Not only are they, the, are, are they prohibitions to enhance your life, to protect your life, but ultimately you have to understand that the motive of God is to draw you into himself. And if any of us were to say here today, that being drawn into a deeper intimacy with God is a negative, legalistic, you know, it carries with it that type of connotation, then I don't really understand what you're thinking. I mean, when you know that there's a God who loves you and his intent, even through the law, is to draw you into himself, I mean, that's an absolute beautiful, beautiful picture. And so we're going to be talking about the fourth commandment here. And guess what the fourth commandment is? Does anyone know? Rhetorical, don't shout out. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Oh, here goes Trent. Here goes Trent. He's on church attendance. I hadn't seen you in this long or that long. It has nothing to do with that, okay? It has nothing to do with that. So we're going to read these few verses, and this is all we're going to cover today. And I know you're thinking, well, that's pretty good. That's one commandment. He covered three last week. He's only going to cover one this week. Man, this is going to be really relatively short. Mm. Yeah, I may. Mm. Always a joker out there. 
Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through 11. We'll cover this in as long as my voice allows uh, me to cover it. It says this, and if, it, it, and if my voice fails, then I'll just reach out and tag Ben, and Ben will come up and, and finish it up. Yeah. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or your sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Father, in Jesus' name. We want to dissect this, this scripture. We want to understand it. We want to share it. We want to gather it into our own hearts. And, and we, we want it to increase, increase our understanding of who you are. And Father, understand your heart and your desire to draw us into yourself. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Okay, okay, even before we get into the scripture, I'm going to establish a few, just a few things. I could establish a lot more, but I don't want to do that to you today. I don't want you guys being here until, I know you gained that extra hour of sleep last night, but I don't want to just take it away from you, you know. But um, there are a few things that I want to touch on regarding the Sabbath, okay, and regarding this command. Uh, some of, some of the, the, um, the efforts and the intentions of, of this, okay. And then we're going to work our way through the scripture, and I, and I think we'll uh, come away with a much better understanding of what the scripture is saying. Okay, first of all, I want you to know that the Sabbath was meant to be a time of rest and refreshment. Now, I don't know how many of you, when you read this scripture, understand that this is part of the intentions of this. And I don't know any of you who do any excessive amount of work that would balk at this. How many people in the world are looking at God saying, no, 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 I don't want rest. I don't want a time of, 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 of recovery. I, I don't know anyone like that. Are there people out there like that that don't need any rest, that don't need a, a place of recovery and rejuvenation? If that's you, see me after the service. I've got a lot of work for you to do. I just don't know anyone like that. So when we understand the scripture, we understand part of the motive is so that we can have a time of rest and refreshment. That in itself should have us look at God and say, thank you. Thank you. Right? Exodus chapter 23 verse 12 says this. Six day do your work, but on the seventh day do not work so that your ox and your donkey may rest. And the slave born in your household and the alien as well may be refreshed. So I mean, that's part. That's part of the, the, the incentive of, of the Sabbath. Secondly, I would say that the Sabbath was a sign. Right? That Israel belonged to God. Now I want you to understand, this is a covenant made with Israel. He is distinguishing Israel from the rest of the world in these commands right here. Exodus chapter 31 verse 13 says this, Say to Israel, you must observe my Sabbath. This will be a sign between me and you for generations to come, so you may know that I am the Lord. A sign, literally meaning, for the children of Israel, this would be that kind of a, a reflective object that would reflect this message off of themselves in their honoring of God to the rest of the world. You know when you're going down the road and, uh, you know, it's nighttime and, and, 
you're, and, and, and all of a sudden, uh, you, you recognize at a distance either a runner or a bicyclist or, or someone out there, and they've got some type of a reflective a coating on their shirt, maybe a reflector on their bike, and all of a sudden, the light is reflecting the darkness, and you can see them, right? Hence, what this scripture is talking about right here, about making Israel a light or a sign that they would reflect to a darkened world who God really is. Right? We, are you guys with me? So who objects to this? Who objects as followers of Jesus to this notion that God would want to use you and I to be a sign, a reflective property to the rest of the world? That's what I want. Right? As a follower of Jesus, I want that. Thirdly, the Sabbath was set aside for corporate worship. If you go into Leviticus chapter 23, verse 3, it says, By the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, a day of sacred assembly. He was basically saying, listen, set this day aside from all these other distractions. Draw not just to me, but to one another as you draw to me. A sacred assembly. There's something beneficial, so beneficial to that. You and I come into a place like this. And whenever I saw my brother John this morning, I gave him a big old hug, big sloppy hug. I gave you a big old sloppy hug, big embarrassing hug I gave John this morning. But there's something in that, in there, brother, of encouragement and love and value, you know, that God has deposited into us to give to one another. And when we forsake that gathering together, man, we lose something. We lose something. And so he's saying, don't lose this. Bring this thing in. Gather together. And then it's also the Sabbath was a reminder of God's redemption, okay? The scripture says in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15, and remembering is a huge thing in Exodus, ain't it, Jeff? We've talked about this a thousand times, right? You've heard me reiterate this idea of remembering, remembering, remembering. Well, right here, right here in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15 says this. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, remembering that. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. When we come together, right, when we push everything out, we come together for that sacred assembly, part of that should be in recalling what God has done for us. The testimony of God's faithfulness in our lives, being exchanged between one brother and another brother, a sister and another sister, so forth and so on, that exchange of remembering and encouraging. You see how that happens, right? Now, this is something I want you to understand. Who was this, the, the Sabbath established for? Do you think God was sitting up there and saying, you know what, I'm going to set this, I'm going to establish the Sabbath because I really need something from these cats. I really need something from these cats. Uh, there's a deficiency in my person, so I'm going to establish a, a Sabbath so they can come together and worship me and just fill me up. Do you think that's what God was thinking when he established the Sabbath? You think it was self-centered? You think he was at the heart of why the Sabbath was established? No, no, no. He established the Sabbath for you, for your benefit, for your encouragement. I'm telling you, God is not increased or decreased by our honoring of him one way or the other. The substance and who, the character of God is not diminished one bit whether or not we worship him or not. He's still God. He's still God at his fullness, 100%. He doesn't need us in a sense. But the Sabbath was established for you to draw in, 
for you to benefit, for you to be what? Encouraged and strengthened. This is what Jesus said. Man, Jesus got all kinds of pushback, didn't he? Jesus, Jesus basically said in, in Mark chapter 2, verse 27 through 28, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Remember, he was getting all this kickback because he was doing good things on the Sabbath. Remember that? And they were pushing back on him. And Jesus was saying, man, the Sabbath, the Sabbath isn't the day to worship, not the day itself. It's not about that. The Sabbath was designed for you. You were in mind. You were in the heart of God, the mind of God, when the Sabbath was established. Jesus says that. Now, one of the things that we have a propensity to do, and when I say we, I just basically include you so I don't feel so bad about myself. Right? I just, I just pull you in there with me. I just put, put you in the old guilt pool with me. Right? One of the things that we have a really terrible time with is we have a tendency to take a gift of God and turn it into a burden. You know what I mean? Do you, anybody following me? The thing that God has established to our benefit, man, before you know it, man, we turn it into this legalistic, law-driven, ugly, cantankerous type thing, right? I don't know how many of you know what the Talmud is, the Talmud. It's a Jewish writing, a commentary on the laws, you know, centuries and centuries old, the Talmud. And in it, regarding the Sabbath day, they have established 37 to 39 different categories on what it means to work. You're talking about taking a gift and turning it into a burden? They literally said, well, this is what work means under this circumstance. This is what work means under this. 37, 39 different categories they have established to interpret this one law that was given as a gift of God to his creation. Now, how many of you have heard of Shabbat or Sabbath elevators? Anybody here? You, you know what I'm talking about? Okay. If you go into a Jewish hospital... If you go into Israel, they're not just in Israel, they're all over the world. If you go into a Jewish hospital, if you go into a building, a, a, uh, uh, like a housing, uh, an apartment complex type building where there's elevators, there's something called a, a Shabbat or a Sabbath elevator. Do you know how that works? The door will open and inside there's a program to where the individual who's wanting to honor the Sabbath walks onto the elevator, and never touches a button. Every button is lit up. Every button. So the elevator goes up and opens on every floor. You either get on or you get off because they don't want you touching a light on that elevator, equating that with work. Now, do you think that was the intention of God when he gave the Sabbath so that we wouldn't have to touch an elevator button? But you can understand how we take a gift of God and we turn it into something crazy, right? Do you, are you tracking with me? I want you to understand the motive of God behind the Sabbath and the application for you and I as followers of Jesus because these principles are still, in, uh, still uh, applicable to you and I. 
Even though we don't worship on the Sabbath, the Jewish Sabbath, that being Friday evening at sunset to Saturday evening at sunset, we worship on Sunday, and I can give you many reasons why we do it. And we'll be happy to do it if you want to stay over this afternoon. I'll be happy to talk to you with my rough, raspy voice for 30, 40, 50 minutes about it. No takers? Okay, no takers. All right. Let, now let's look at this scripture, okay? Let's look at this scripture. The scripture says, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy, right? The word remember is zakar, and it means to recall or to be brought to remembrance. But the verb zakar has a whole different meaning than just remembering. It means, it, it literally has an application, the definition of remembering that leads you to a response. For example, zakar is the, is the notion that energize it's the memory that energizes a response. And you understand what I'm talking about. Because there's times in your life when certain memories, when certain things are, are asked of you, there's certain things that you recall. Under normal circumstances, you would never have the energy to do whatever is asked of you to do. But you remember how much you love your children, so you feed them. Right? You remember how much you love your children so you don't kill them, right? You, you track them in. You remember how much you love your, your, your grandma. I remember, I remember my, my grandmother or my mother-in-law, Miss Jenny, uh, golly woman, Grandma Jenny. And she was dying of cancer. And she had a, uh, a colostomy. You understand what I'm saying, right? She's dying of cancer. At about 2 o'clock in the morning, 1.30, 3 o'clock in the morning, our phone would ring, Daniel. And Carrie would answer the phone, or I'd answer the phone. I'd say, hello. She'd say, Trent or Carrie, whoever. It's Grandma Jeannie. I need some help down here. I've had an accident. You understand what I'm talking about with the clock? You understand? Many times I saw Gary hang up the phone. She'd get up out of bed. She'd grab her clothes. She'd put them on. She'd be gone. Forty minutes later, she'd stroll back into the house, take her clothes off, get back in bed, go back to sleep. What was being asked of her was to come down there and to clean up a mess at one, two, three o'clock in the morning disturbing her night's peaceful, peaceful sleep, a night of peaceful, peaceful sleep. But what happens is, when she remembers who her grandmother is, when she remembers how much she loves her, when she remembers how much her grandmother has done for her, John, when the ask comes to go love on her grandmother in a messy situation at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, man, that's no task. That's no mountain for a climber in that moment because she has been energized to act born out of the remember or the memory of her love for her mother or her grandmother. Are you, are you tracking with me? Are you with me? So he says, like, Zakar, remember, and the remembering, remember the Sabbath, what? And then the action is to keep it holy. Remember and to keep. Luke chapter 22 verse 19 says this. 
And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this action empowered by in remembrance of me. Let me, let me drop this one on you. We'll move. Zakar. Zakar. That remembering that moves us to action, the first time it is used, it is used in Genesis chapter 8, verse 1. Do you know what that's pertaining to? It's pertaining to the flood. And when the scripture says, and God remembered Noah, Zakar, he, he considered Noah, and the Zakar dictates a response. So let's read that scripture. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with them in the ark, and he sent a wind over the earth. Zakar. You say, are you with? I got to know if you're understanding what I'm saying. God, Zakar, remembered, and that memory provoked him to action on behalf of Noah. Now, I love this idea of remembering and it energizing me. You know what I'm talking about? I, hey, listen, there's, there's many times, man, I remember the thing God's done for me, Dennis, and it's the thing that keeps me going forward. You know what I mean? It's the thing that keeps me moving forward. Th that's why I derive, in the Greek, when it talks about power and it talks about the influence of the Spirit, it uses the Greek word energio, which means energize. You know what I'm talking about? And, 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 and sometimes when I consider the thing of God, it's what energizes me. It's what empowers me. There's a beautiful scene. And you guys know this. My son's named Clark. It's a giveaway. We're big Superman fans. How many of you have heard me say that? Right? Big Superman fans. Yeah, Henry Cavill's back for Superman. Jacob, what do you think about that? We'll talk about that after church. After I talk to people 45 minutes about why we worship on Sunday. All right? All right? So there's, there's, this, uh, uh, there's this scene in Man of Steel that I absolutely love. I love this scene. And it's the first flight scene of Superman. It's the first time he flies. And it's a beautiful scene where he comes out and he's at the, the fortress of solitude. I'm assuming that's what it is. A lot of snow around. And he bends over and he places his hand on the ground and it starts to generate energy. You know what? Why am I telling you this? Hit that, Clark. Let's watch this. This is a car energy. Oh, yeah. Energy. It's a car. You see it? Look, that's enough, that's enough. See, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that's a car, that energy that fuels you. You know what I'm talking about? And he says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. That's the type of energy that you and I should be receiving and experiencing when we recall the goodness of God in our lives. Man, I was about to have you run about five more minutes of that right there, flight scene. All right, this one, let's, let's move on. We, we got to go quickly. It says, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Now, when it says six days you shall labor and do all your work, 
There is an order to the fourth commandment that is overlooked and leads to compromise. And this is one of those things where I'm going to pull you back into our guilt. Okay? It's procrastination. Okay. Edit that out of the podcast. We'll do some buffering. All right? The scripture says, and it's clear right there, six days you shall labor and do all your work. Now, this is, the, the, this is the difficulty in this part of the statement. Is that you and I, I'm bringing you in, guilt, guilt pool, bringing you in. You and I have a tendency to procrastinate. And when we procrastinate, we push back the things that are reserved for the six days. And we push it back. And then when time pinches on us, the thing that we have to make concession with is God. Man, I, I, I woke up late. I've got this going on. I stayed up late doing this, doing that. I was doing that. And all of a sudden, I can't read this morning. I can't be in the script. I'll put that off. And then all of a sudden, you've had two or three days of procrastinating and pushing back responsibilities that are assigned, that are assigned for these other days. And all of a sudden, the pinch comes, and the thing that is conceded or the thing that is lost is our relationship with Jesus. I don't understand, I do not understand, man, and this ain't about church attendance, I'm not even talking about that. I do not understand when life gets really difficult on people, and life does get difficult, man, I'm not, I'm not denying that, life's hard. But when life is hard, I'm gonna be honest with you, I'm gonna be honest, this might sting a couple of you, that's not my intention, I'm trying to love you in, right? When life gets hard, this is where you need to be the most. That's no joke, man. The last thing you need to be pulling away from is the people that love you, that want to surround you, that want to encourage you. And all of a sudden, because the six days isn't managed in a manner in which we think it should be, we push things back. And before you know it, the thing of God, our relationship with God, is then compromised because I'm in all this other stuff that I should have been doing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, whatever it might be. And we don't even have to talk about days of the week. We can talk about a day. I get up in the morning, I want to do my devotionals, but I got 17 other things. I, well, I ain't going to get up earlier. I need sleep. Why do you need sleep? Well, I went to bed late. Why'd you go to bed late? Well, I had other things I wanted to do that night before. You see what I'm talking about? Then all of a sudden, the next day comes, I, I no devotion time this morning. Then at the end of the day, you're exhausted. I don't know why you're exhausted, but you're exhausted at the end of the day. And before you know it, man, that thing rolls over into the next day. So there, there's a principle in this. And the principle of this is to manage our time. Manage our time appropriately. I just talked to my wife this week. She told me yesterday, she said, I don't know how I got done the things I got done this week. I, I, I could not see it coming out. But I believe if, that if we do persist, if we do work hard, if we do manage our time, that God will bless us and we will accomplish things that in our own orchestrating, we will not, we will not be able to accomplish. If our intent and our motive is to honor God in that. But sometimes, man, we just push back and we push back. He gets pushed back. You know why we push him back, Dwayne? I'll tell you why we push him back. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell Dwayne. I'll tell everybody else in the sanctuary. You know why we're comfortable pushing God back? Because we know that we can always get him back. Right? We don't push our wife's back. She might kick us to a curb. We don't push our husband's back. They might kick us to a curb. We don't push this or we don't push our job back. We may lose our job. We can always push God back because God always loves us, don't he? He'll never reject us. Well, and all of a sudden we get this liberty with God that he, we can just put him on the back burner and he'll be there when we want him. Right? Am I, am I not right about that? I think that's true. 
Okay. He says, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. This was a day set aside, what? For Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews. Listen, man, you got six days, man, beat yourself to death. Wear yourself out. But God was saying to them, but the seventh day, come on in here to the Father. Come on. You know why? You need it. You know, life will beat you so bad, man, in the six days of your life that you're going to need to come in. And God is saying, come on, God, come on in. Come on in, let me love on you. Let me encourage you. Let me speak life to you, Ben. Come on, let me just embrace you. Right? And then it says, and on it you shall not do any work. Right? It's a Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you shall not do any work. Now understanding that 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 to engage in work would have required you to neglect the first directive in verse 9, right? Why would he come right back and he say something like, you shall not do any work? Hadn't he already said six days you should do all your work? He didn't say some of your work. He said all your work. That's what he said. Why does he come back and say you should do no work? Because if you're doing work there, if that commandment's applicable to you, what then is the commandment exposing that in the first six days, you failed to do, quote, unquote, all your work. You failed to what? Manage, create margins in your life to be able to, to accomplish the task of the other six days. <clears throat> you and I, you and I are 100%. Man, this is hard stuff, man. I know it sounds like legalism. This ain't legalism, man. I'm telling you. You and I are accountable for our time. You and I are accountable for our time. And listen, I've been in the hospital over the last few weeks. I've been with people that I know are dying. And I ain't more than one person that I know is in a difficult spot. And you know what I guarantee you? They wouldn't say to you, I wish I had more time to be at the lake. I wish I had more time to be at the factory. I wish I had more time to be on that boat. I wish I had more time to, you know what they're talking about? Man, I want to live to see my kids grow. I want, I, want to, I want to see what God's got for my children. I want to, that's the thing that they're really thinking about. That's the thing that really matters at that moment. Not the other things. And so let's, let's read. And then he says this. And on it you shall not do any work. Now, now watch this. And he's speaking to the patriarch of the home. That being the, prim, the primary responsible party. That being the father. Are you with me? He's speaking to the father right here. He's speaking to the patriarch of the home right here. And he says this. Not only are you not to work. Your son, your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates. You know what he's saying? Dad, I'm going to have to drop this on you dads. Right? You come to this church, some of my dads go home. They feel like they've been beat up, scuffed up, drug around. Wounded. See dad's walking out, feelings hurt. Mom's walking out cheering. Yeah, get dad. Right? You know what it's saying? Hey, dad. It ain't enough just for you. You got to see to it that this command is carried out in your family. And this, this isn't, this isn't this militant response to your family 
Because guess where it begins at? Who does he address first? You. You shall do no work. And then he said, you know what he's saying? You should be modeling for your sons, your daughters, your entire household. That's a hard word, man. And there's times when that word lays on my back that it is heavy. Heavy. But that's what he's saying right there. You out front, Dan. You out front. You got to show it. You got to be it. You got to be about it. Let's move on. For in the sixth day the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea. Right? And we're going to... We're, Getting close to close. <laughs> and all that is in them. And he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now what does it mean God rested? What does that even mean? Like God's up there wiping his brow. Whew. Man, what's the union break schedule? You know, do, do I get 10 minutes for every two hours I work? Do I get 15 minutes for every two hours? What, what does the union say about my break? Can you see God up there like that? Union worker God. Up there wore out, tired, huffing and puffing. Doesn't work his holes in his gloves. Up there welding, trying to get things together and burn through half his clothes. That, is that the, the image you got in your mind of God needing to rest? Is that the image? Because that's a poor image. It's a poor image that's not even applicable to the context of what's really taking place with God right here. When it says that he rested, it does not imply fatigue on God's part or any sense of needing to rest. That's not what it's talking about. As a matter of fact, Isaiah chapter 40 verse 28 says this, Do you not know, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the heavens, or the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow, what, tired or weary. And his understanding no one can fathom. The real implication, the real application of that word when it's talking about God resting is found in Genesis 2 verse 2 when it says this. By the seventh day God completed his work which he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. The application when it says God has rested it meant God was finished. There was no more work, Jose, to be done by God. God had completed the task. God had managed time, creator of time. God had done everything God had set out to do, and it was finished. The, listen, the work of creation was finished. So God rested. He completed it. But you know what? That kind of translates into, into the New Testament too, because there's another work that was finished and declared as well. And it too was declared and finished pushing into the Sabbath, right? And those words are found in John chapter 19, verse 30. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, this is the sixth day, right? Right? Sabbath hadn't set in yet. He's still working on the sixth day, right? And Jesus says what? It is finished. That's what Jesus says. It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And on the cross, just like in Genesis 2-2, God completed his work. On the cross, Jesus declared the work of salvation had been finished. Now listen, we're talking about the Sabbath. 
We're, we're, we're talking about resting in God. We're talking about all those things, right? But the real rest in God in the New Testament church isn't found in a day because you can come into this place every Sunday. You can come in here on the Jewish Sabbath from Friday night to Saturday night. You can come in and you can sit right there in the middle of that floor and you don't raise a finger to anything. And you know what you won't leave with? Peace and rest, not in your heart. You can't find that type of peace and rest in sitting and abstaining from work. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, the whole scripture makes it clear, when you read the whole scripture, that under the new covenant, it isn't a day that provides the real rest we need in our hearts, but a person. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, this is Jesus. This is what the scripture says. Therefore, this is the Apostle Paul speaking about Jesus. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a mere shadow of things that were to come. The Sabbath rest was merely a shadow of what God was projecting that would one day come God's true Sabbath rest. And the scripture says the reality, however, is found in Christ. That's the real rest. The real rest. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come to me, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, who was he speaking to? He was speaking to Jewish people who had the Sabbath. And Jesus was acknowledging that they still needed real rest, spiritual, heart, deep in their person, rest that the Sabbath couldn't provide. And he said, you know where that rest lied, Kevin? In Jesus. He was like, what was he saying? Just like I said of the Father, when he was, you know, just kind of bringing them in on the side. Jesus was saying what? Come to me. <laughs> you, can, you can see it, right? You can see Jesus saying, bring it in, boys. Bring it in. If you're weary, you're heavy laden, you're burdened, you're overworked, you're exhausted, you've tried the law, you've tried it all, come on in. Come on in. The water's fine, kind of thing, right? And then the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 6 through 10, I'll just read verse 8, it says this, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest, not a Sabbath day, but a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from their works as God did from his. You know what Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says about those things? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You know what Jesus was saying? I, I really am your rest. I I'm really am your rest. And you can't work hard enough to get this rest. This is a gift of God. Come to me. Come to me. And I'll give you a rest that transcends the Sabbath rest, that transcends the shadowy thing. 
This is the fulfillment. And that's what Jesus said. I've not come to abolish the law. He said, I've come to fulfill it. I've come to make it complete. The Sabbath, the fourth commandment, was a call to honor God, to remember God, to rest in the rest that he had provided, and to be empowered by the coming together as brothers and sisters in that great assembly, that sacred assembly. Ultimately, what? To be empowered by coming together? Ultimately, what? To be a sign for the nations. You know what Jesus has called you and I to do as followers of Jesus? This is part of it, coming together. Honoring him, resting in him, not forsaking the assembling of the brethren, but coming together, benefiting from the exchange of one another. Not only receiving, but giving. Some of you came this morning, and because of the gift that you gave, your arm reached from 100 hops and way all the way down to clear water, or at least in that vicinity. That's how far your arm reached today. You had an opportunity to empower and affect and change. But you know why? Because you were here. You were here. You were present. You were engaged. And that's where he's called us to. This ain't, this ain't hard legalism, man. This is God saying, I want you. I want you. And when I see people, man, I don't want to come across this critical, man. I don't, I don't want to be that cat, man. That, they say, man, that, that preacher's dogmatic and crazy. Crazy, maybe. Dogmatic, not so much. Right? Man, when I, when I see people who come in and I feel like they, they feel like they've checked the box. Well, I was at church. Maybe things will go good for me this week. Amy, I just want to cry. I'm like, oh, no. You don't get it. It ain't about checking a box. It ain't about church attendance. It's about coming in and being with him and worshiping him with his people and being empowered to make a difference. It's so much more than, quote, unquote, checking a box. And we want to look at this scripture. We want to look at this commandment. We will look at it through the eyes of legalism and just say, man, it's just, that's that old law stuff. And we forget the God who's behind it. And the motive of his heart was, was to redeem a world that he had created that was broken and lost. Okay, we're going to close. I, I'm just going to ask if, the, if Ben would come, Miss Terry. I had to put these glasses back on. I was, I was, I was out here looking for Brandon. I was like, where's Brandon at? Brandon, would you come on up and help me here? We're going to remember something this morning. We're going to remember... What Jesus did for us. Right? And because we're remembering this, the car, 
You're called to respond. And this is what we're going to do, and you guys know how this works. We start on the outside. We work our way back. We funnel down these middle rows. Once the sides are finished, then we start in the front rows. We come back around, and we come back down. Now, listen, I say to you, and I've said this many times, I don't care where you go to church. I don't care. It doesn't make any difference to me. You're a visitor, or you've been here a hundred times. If you're a follower of Jesus, a follower of Christ, you're my brother and I'm yours, whether you like it or not. And you are welcomed and invited into partaking in communion this morning. This isn't mine to give. This has already been given. The question is yours to take. And if you're a follower of Jesus, the answer to that is absolutely yes. If you're a lover of Jesus, this communion is yours. And we do things a little bit different here at the Driven Church. You'll, when you come up to get your communion, there will be two cups, right? One of the cups will have the, the wine, and the other cup will have the bread, okay? I'm going to step down. May I get one of those bins? Everyone's watching. How many fingers can Trent feel with communion? Let me give those to you girls. And everybody out there is thinking, man, I hope he don't drop them. Not on that piano. Right? But this is what the scripture says. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 26, the apostle Paul says this. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do you get that? Act out of remembering. It's a car. This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it. In remembrance, the car of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So I'm going to ask you guys if you would stand. And we're going to come down. We're going to get the elements starting on the sides. Work our way back. When you get the elements, please return to your seat and we'll take communion together this morning. Amen? Amen. Bless you.